Sometimes the most memorable stories we carry with us from military service were just the product of the branch of service we were in or the deployment we were on and the crazy stuff that happens when people with a mission and a common cause live in close quarters. The Garrison Project Podcast tells those stories, your stories, and builds connections across generations of veterans. The Garrison Project, veterans connecting with veterans through the power of storytelling. And now your host, Dan Ettinger, co-founder of the Garrison Project. Hey, I hope everybody is sitting down and ready to go with your seatbelts in for episode 19 of the Garrison Project podcast. Fantastic interview, as always, uh, today. I think you'll enjoy it. Just a couple of notes. Uh, as I said in the previous uh, podcast, really kind of stripping down what we're doing here with the Garrison Project and the Garrison Project podcast. This is all about just telling stories, not worrying about any, any of the other silliness we talked about last time. Um, but in that vein, a few themes uh, have come up over the, the last few interviews of last season and these first couple interviews of this season. So I thought I wanted to highlight those. That way, uh, if you're interested in doing a podcast yourself or interested in contributing to the conversation, you can either send me a note or send one of our guests a note, connect with them and discuss these things because we're bringing a lot of experience to the table in these uh, few topic areas. So, again, what uh, what has stood out to me in the past number of interviews that we've done here on the podcast have been, and some of these are kind of obvious, I'll be honest with you. Uh, that's all right. So military to civilian transition topics. So things that went right, things that went wrong, uh, frustrations, etc. cetera. Uh, workplace integration topics. So this is actually uh, once, you, once you've officially made that transition to, a, to civilian employment, how are you doing in integrating into that workplace? We all know it's a significant difference from operating in the military to operating in a workplace. So what uh, are there things you've learned, lessons learned, best practices in integrating smoothly into that new work environment? Uh, I say lessons learned because it's always entertaining to hear how stuff has gone wrong. Got a few of those kind of stories myself. So anything along those lines that you are, uh, that you have, have learned and you can bring to the conversation. I'd love to hear that. Uh, another possibly obvious one, your job hunt topics. Uh, so again, ways that you've been successful or not in landing the kind of job that you wanted to, or how you, the process you went through and how you ended up landing in something that you weren't necessarily expecting, but that's either a good news story or a bad news story. Love to hear uh, more uh, opinions and insight uh, in that area. Uh, mentorship. I've got some, uh, some great stories and some great mentors that I've had in my eight years since retiring. So I'd love to hear similar stories from our community here. Um, is, are there, are there ways or strategies you've used to build mentors in your professional life? Are there stories about how some of your uh, mentors from the military have remained your mentors in your, in your professional life, your civilian professional life? And uh, upcoming events, uh, I'll have one I want to talk about here in just a second, but significant events, uh, this you don't have to 
here on the podcast. Or you can even send me a note or a uh, you know an audio note, and I'll be glad to play it on the on the podcast here. But if there are significant events coming up that uh, you know of and you want to share, we'd love to hear them. Love to get them on the podcast, and love to get the word out about places that veterans can go to further their careers and and, and further their success. So that being said, speaking of upcoming events, uh, we have one ourselves uh, here in the Raleigh-Durham area coming up on the 20th of February. It is uh, sponsored by Jones Lang LaSalle and HQ Raleigh and some some other folks in our professional network that uh, that will be sponsoring a veterans networking event. I'll give you some more details here in the upcoming shows, but uh, put that on your calendar the 20th of February. It's called VetNet Working, Vet Networking, if you will. And that'll be, that'll be held uh, downtown Raleigh in, in the Capitol Club. Uh, again, more details to follow. I'll even probably put up a uh, notification on the website uh, and on my social media to, uh, to get that word out. So please, uh, if you're in the Raleigh-Durham area and are interested in career transition topics, networking, uh, et cetera, please put that February 20th on your calendar vet networking uh, at the Capitol Club in downtown Raleigh. All that being said, like I told you, hopefully you're sitting down with your seatbelt on for today's interview. Uh, great stuff. You're really going to enjoy it. And actually, a little bit of a surprise, this will be the world record for, for the Garrison Project in the interview conducted from the furthest distance away. So seatbelts, helmets, safety goggles, work gloves, whatever it takes to be safe while you listen to this podcast. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hey everybody, this is Dan Edinger with episode 19 of the Garrison Project podcast. And we now have appearing on our show, the guest from the furthest uh, location to date, currently now holding the world record, Jason Dummer calling from Afghanistan. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, uh, thanks, Dan, but uh, let, me, let me correct you. It's actually Doomer, uh, Doomer. the last oh, name. Wait, can, so, you want to start again? <laughs> oh, no, let's, let's, cause every, everybody, uh, everybody, when they, they either put an R in my last name and go you know, with drummer, uh, <laughs> it's a natural thing to correct it. Or they say dumber, and then I correct them, and, and you know what? It sticks with them. So it's kind of like that that calling card. It, unfortunately, it's not the best way to stick with somebody in their memory, but it makes people laugh and it opens up a conversation. So uh, no worries, man. Yeah, it could be worse. There could be a B instead of two M, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's you know, we always say it's, it's German. <laughs> My dad puts two dots above it. So <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Jason Doomer, I feel horrible, but it is the perfect beginning to a show, right? It really is, and hopefully got some, you know, catch some audience attention there. So, yeah, glad to be on. Uh, yeah, hey, uh, I really do appreciate it. appreciate it taking the time. What time of day is it right now? Where you're at? Uh, it's just about eight p.m. Good stuff. And you've had a. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna hear a lot about your uh, your kind of work day and and what you're doing over there. But as we always do, let's uh, let's start out by telling us a little bit about where you're at here, uh, what your current job is. Uh, if you want to go ahead and dig into what your your day is now, that's fine. But we'll definitely talk about that later on. 
Uh, tell us how you keep yourself busy, a little bit about yourself, and round that off with something that we wouldn't expect about you. Ready to go. All right. So I'm uh, currently 36, and I'm an aspiring entrepreneur who's stuck in Afghanistan. Um, well, I'm really not stuck here. I could leave if I wanted to. A bit of entrepreneurial. But, <laughs> but uh, um, you know, I, I'm a junkie for self-development, and I'm currently a, a, a foreign military advisor to the Afghan Air Force. I'm trying to get them established, and that's kind of what I do on a daily basis over here. You know, I have a wife, um, Jamie, and two children, Parker and Olena, and I have one brother, Kevin, and a mom and dad that are still alive. So that's kind of my family tree. My wife's currently in Iowa, and my brother's not uh, Illinois. So um, that area is where uh, you know, I kind of call home right now. But uh, for the past two years, I've been in Afghanistan. Before that, I was in Alabama for a year, North Carolina for three years, Kentucky for a year, being military, moving around. And then most of the time, um, I was in the Guard or Reserves in Illinois for a, a large portion of my time. So that's kind of where I come from in the all over the east of the Mississippi kind of thing and then south of New Jersey. Um, very, very cool. Tell us something that we wouldn't expect about you. Uh, well, so I, I was started taking a yoga class over here in Afghanistan and the yoga instructor uh, was a certified yoga instructor and she's military and she had to, you know, her deployment was over. So when she left, it left a gap for the yoga instructor position. And <laughs> since I'd been taking a yoga class for the last year with her, uh, yep. I still can't touch my toes, but I jumped on and uh, I started teaching yoga over here in Afghanistan. So <laughs> well, give us the, uh, uh, give us your go-to uh, pose. What is, if you were thrown into a class and said, Hey, you teach yoga, teach us, where would you go first? What would you do first? Well, I always like to start, um, it depends on the class. So, you know, depending on what day it is. So like if it's, it's uh, funk, funky flow Friday, or if it's like restorable, restorable Sunday, like there's a different feng shui with the class. Um, so with funky, funky flow Friday, you know, I probably start in a tree position. Uh, so standing up and like eyes closed. And then kind of set the tone for the class to go through the movements and stuff like that. But if it was, if it's Sunday, I start in a sitting down position because I try to do everything on Sunday, either on your butt, on your back or on your knees. So you're not standing. It's a, it's a much more relaxing uh, sun, or yoga session on Sundays, uh, different music and stuff like that. So it just depends on what day in the crowd and who's in it and, you know, kind of throw it together on the class I'm teaching. So I love try it. to personalize it, you know, I, I love it. Um, do you, do you aspire one day to do this like professionally? Yeah, it doesn't. It, no, not really. It was it was something that I filled a gap for, and I mean, we I've joked about it um, about like starting my own yoga studio, um, but I I don't think I'd ever actually pursue it professionally. It's it's been fun. I meet a lot of great people. Well, so. uh, you said you're you're entrepreneurial at heart. You know, there's got to yeah. be some sort of like a, uh, you know, how they have all kinds of you know battle mud. What are the uh, what are the goofy things like? Oh yeah, mud, yeah, like. The, the yes. tough mutter and then yeah. uh totally have, and stuff like that you, you could totally have, have muddy like a, yoga oh hell yes you could have a a, a tough guy themed yoga thing where everyone's in camo yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh that you can use that that's totally yours uh i claim no rights yeah. to that <clears throat> so uh so so great stuff and uh 
the whole the whole deal with the Garrison Project podcast, right, is that there's all these people who've served in the military and uh, you know family members and all that kind of stuff that have uh, experiences and you know these common bonds and all that. And it all starts with uh, you spent some some time in the military yourself, and to to get us to a point where we can tell some stories about what service really meant to you. Tell us kind of the arc of experience of your time in the service, how you got in, what'd you do, uh, where'd you go, and how you got out. Uh, well, I'm actually still serving in the Army Reserves. Um, so the, I'm still, I haven't quite finished up my 20 years um, in the Reserves. But how I got in, let's go back to that. So um, when I took the ASVAB, it was required to take like your junior year, senior high, high school, your year of high school. And uh, I didn't plan on going to the military. Um, so I didn't do very well on the ASVAB because I, I actually fell asleep during the test because um, I didn't care and ended up going to the military. So my, my GT score was, was not high enough to go in as an officer. So I had to go in as enlisted, but I wanted to fly. Um, I wanted to fly. And so I, I went to the Air Force recruiter's office and they were never there. I mean, I, I have a theory that they're always out golfing because they always met their numbers because everybody That's wants right. to go to the Air Force. So, um, but the National Guard recruiter was always in his office and always trying to get me to join the National Guard. So uh, I got I got pulled into the Army, uh, Illinois Army National Guard and I joined a Black Hawk unit in Peoria, Illinois. Actually, Barton, uh, Bartonville is where it's at. So it's at Peoria Airport there. And that's kind of where I started my career. Um, but the whole intention was I was gonna go in as an aviation operations specialist and then put in my flight packet and go to flight school. Mm -hmm. um, and that um, is something that I'm still trying to pursue uh, 18 years later, I guess. I don't yep. know if I'll make it because I got to get an age waiver. Um, but I did my six years of actively drilling with the Illinois National Guard with a deployment to Iraq in 2004 to 2005 and a uh, trip down to El Salvador for annual training um, finish out those six year commitment, initial commitment, and then spent two years in the IR, finishing out my bachelor's degree, came off of IR and went to the Iowa National Guard, um, put a packet in with those guys, flight packet. Um, and, and during that time, I retook the ASVAB um, to get a, a GT score high enough. You need a 110 to be an officer. So I, I got it. I passed that hurdle. Um, I took the uh, flight aptitude test, which is now they switched it to call the SWIFT in the Army. Um, so it's just, uh, I can't, I don't ask me what it stands for. Um, <laughs> well, question real quick. It, anyways, uh, yeah. The, so we're talking, uh, are you, are you wanting to fly choppers, right? Well, anything that, anything, cause I, I already had, uh, let's see, no, I went to school in Carbondale and got my private pilot license in 2003. Okay. Fixed, um, fixed wing I, pilot license. Yes. Fixed wing. Okay. So I wanted to fly Blackhawks is what I wanted to fly. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah, I was just, I was just checking because in the army you can be a warrant and fly helicopters, right? Correct, correct. Yeah. All right, cool. Go ahead. So um, I put a packet in with Illinois, wasn't selected. Put a packet in with Iowa, wasn't selected. And I got out for a, a short stint, uh, like almost a year, and then I rejoined the Army Reserves, um, and you know I just went in a very close unit in. Uh, uh, Peru, Illinois, and then transferred to Fort Knox, which is where the aviation unit was. So I drive from Peru, Illinois area down to Fort Knox, which is about a seven hour drive for drill until yes. they put me on orders and I put in packets for years with those people. 
um, at the uh, 11th Aviation Command there. Um, and then they put me on AGR orders, which is Active Guard Reserve. Okay. And they moved me to Fort Bragg. And I spent a year with a unit in Fort Bragg, a fixed wing army unit in Fort Bragg. And I put a packet in with those guys and they actually selected me to go to warrant officer school and go to flight school. Um, and that was in 2013. Mm-hmm. And so I, uh, I had to resign from my AGR position to actually go to flight school. So I left my full-time job to, to pursue uh, flight school with the military. And I went down to Fort Rucker and the night before the initial PT test for warrant officer candidate school, I tripped over a curb oh, and God. rolled my ankle. And I, I thought for sure I'd fail the run the next morning. The run wasn't the issue. The issue I had was I failed the push-ups. <laughs> um, and it's because when I fell, I caught myself and jacked up my shoulder. Yeah. So because I was a, because I failed the PT test, they they sent me home packing, and uh, I lost my flight seat. Yikes. Um, that was, yeah, that was five years ago. So I came home, le- left my active duty position, um, AGR, came on unemployed, no job, uh, and no prospects because I wasn't planning on that happening. And uh, question there. I can yeah. I can pro- I can probably guess, but kind of where was your head at at this point in time after you had gone through what you that was, had gone through? And you know that that was a very dark spot in my life, um, which you know I, I don't I wouldn't want anybody to go through it. But at that time, um, you know I had a lot of time to think, uh, mm-hmm. looking for a job during that time, and you know that's kind of really when I I. I'm like, okay, the question I ask myself, and this is kind of my message, I guess, that I've, I've pursued for the last five years, is what is it that successful people have figured out, and maybe not they know, but they know subconsciously, that I'm missing. So I just felt like I was missing a, a simple part of life that I hadn't figured mm-hmm. out. And that's really what, what started, okay, I'm like, what do I need to read, learn, and develop that I'm missing that, that other people kind of know? And that's what, you know, uh, kind of, I started reading, um, you know, Tony Robbins and yeah. uh, what's his name? Robert Kiyosaki's book, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And during that time, I had that time to read and develop and, and start thinking, okay, what can I do and what can I achieve? And starting setting goals and really just really transformed where I was to where I am today. Um and that's really what started me down that path is, is that dark period of, of failure. Yeah. Um, were, were you uh, married with kids at that time or what was your, yeah. Where were you? Yeah. So I, I, uh, my kids were seven, five and seven at the time. Goodness gracious. I can imagine so, the, uh, the it, pressure, right? Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, I mean, luckily I, I found a job, uh, you know, so I'm out of the, the active duty side and I'm doing the one week in a month stuff. But I took a job uh, as a contractor with uh, Aerotech. Uh, it's just a staffing agency in Belvedere, Illinois, at the Chrysler manufacturing plant. And I manufactured mm-hmm. cars as a supervisor for about a year, which uh, it was, I mean, I was working 90 hours a week. Um, and, you know, I was living, just living at work pretty much. But it allowed me to get out of the debt that I went into for being unemployed for that period of time and then um, set me up for a, a little bit of a buffer, not much, um, that allowed me to start that next job at the startup company, which the, the buffer wasn't nearly large enough. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's part of the reason I can't, can't but um, I mean, you, you, you said you started a company or started a business yep. and that, that didn't. I mean, 
Yeah, that's kind of what happened with mine. Um, so, I mean, it, I, I took a, an $80,000 a year pay cut to start with a startup company. Um, yeah. And that was only for the first six months and I got bumped up, but it still wasn't, I didn't have enough in the bank to, to bridge that gap. So, and, and, you know, I, I, luckily I, I networked uh, and, you know, came across when I actually was a company commander in the unit that I transferred to in Alabama that I uh, reached out to you and I said, Hey, sir, uh, um, you know, this is like the Tuesday after drill. I'm like, Hey, I'm looking for a job. You know, anybody hiring? Cause I was fairly new to the Alabama area. I didn't have a big network of individuals because the startup company I was working for laid me off because the business plan just don't work the model. And that's when he's like, Hey, you want to go to Afghanistan? I said, does it pay my bills? And, uh, he said, I'm pretty sure it will. So, um, you know, within two weeks of me leaving, you know, um, leaving that job, you know, I had a job offer to come to Afghanistan. Now there's a, about a, a one month vesting period or, or onboarding process that uh, I kind of was in limbo. And during that time, I actually was an advisor for a, another startup drone company um, because I'd worked for Talent Analytics as a commercial drone pilot for, with those guys, developing um, processes and procedures to, you know, scale this as a, as a bigger model. And so they, they hired some subcontractors in. And so I worked directly with those subcontractors as a as a uh, advisor to those guys to kind of help get them boarded under the Talon um, yeah. subcontract wing. Did that for about two weeks in Atlanta, Georgia area. So, um, but anyway, so I, I started uh, with, uh, it's agility, but we just got bought out by the SIACI. Um, the merger yeah. just is going on currently. So agility picked me up um, based off of a phone call from my commander to the program manager over here. And uh, I've been here for the last two years advising uh, Afghan officers on command and control and data collection and data analysis of, of aircraft and sorties and uh, bullets, bombs and rockets. And it's a 3.5 billion dollar military budget for the Afghan Air Force, Afghan military in general. So, yeah. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, a question then, uh, I want to go back to a couple of things because these may, uh, kind of fill in the blanks for other people who are in their military to civilian transition here. You said yeah. you worked for a while with Aerotech, uh, for Chrysler, right? Right. So if a, uh, if somebody is looking for work, you know, they're in that, they get out, maybe it isn't exact, they didn't land where they thought they would, maybe they had a prospect that fell through or whatever. You can go to a company like Aerotech, which is, as you said, a staffing firm, large national, I don't know how big they are, but they're definitely national staffing firm and possibly get connected to work like that. And it sounds like it was pretty good money. You're working hard, but pretty decent money. Is that true? It wasn't bad. I don't remember exactly what my my, my rate was, but with, with the overtime I was making, uh, it was about $120,000 a year. Got it. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I know me personally, when I was getting out, you get this, you go to tap class and you get this very kind of watered down generic classroom thing about resumes and dressing right and all that. That didn't really help you a whole bunch, but knowing right. that there are kind of alternate ways to get into the workforce, like going to an aerotech and there's a million different staffing companies, a lot of them they're right. local. So we wouldn't even know what their names are, but if you look for staffing companies, that's one way to maybe land someplace that could be lucrative and at the very least be a bridge, right? Correct. Um, I will say though on that is is uh, I went to every potential um, 
job. Uh, what are those things called? Job, uh, job fair. companies. Spares, yeah. I mean, I would I would fly. Caveat: My dad retired from Northwest. My my brother works for United, so I fly cheap. Yeah. But I would fly. I fly from Chicago to DC to go to a job fair. Um, I, the military mojo ones. I would highly recommend. Uh, I think Sally still runs it. Um, she kind of puts on that. Um, I can't think of what the last name is. But the military mojo. It, by all means, if you guys are listening to this, check out military mojo. Find out if there's an event near you, and they are by far yeah. the best job fair. They have. Uh, I've talked to guys at Amazon, Facebook uh microsoft's always there i don't know if google showed up but mm -hmm. um definitely an awesome awesome military fair especially for military um, job fair function and get out and network uh so yeah. But, but yeah the, the staffing agencies are um an option but with that being said i went to a lot of staffing agencies lots and lots of staffing agencies and they're like here's a seven dollar an hour job and i'm like listen i i made you know a lot more than that is and, yeah, enlisted person, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, so I totally get it, and that's why it jumped out to me to hear the name Aerotech with a placement in with some place like Chrysler. They're all over the place. We use them where where I work now. It's just a, an interesting angle. I don't hear people talk about all that all that often, and, and nothing against anybody or anybody you know anybody's company. But I definitely would see it as a bridge. Like if you need work, you make right. sure you check there because there may be something. Right. The other go ahead. The other thing though. Is, is I was in North Carolina at the time and because I had a house there, so I was stationed at Bragg. And I also had a I also have a rental property that my primary residence in uh, Illinois. Mm -hmm. And so I would put out resumes with both addresses on them. Uh, yeah. So the way that the Aerotech got linked up with me is because they, they pinged it off the address that was the Illinois address, uh, which if I would have only had my North Carolina address and not been willing to, you know, leave my family and then go live in a, in a basement room of some place I found, you know, uh, yeah. which I was willing to do, they would never have found me because of the distance in where my my resume address is located at. Is that? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to go with that. So, yeah, I do, and I think one trick you can do as well, if you so same same concept, if you go to like a ZipRecruiter or whatever, uh, and you're trying to get somewhere, obviously you would put your address in that community, or else a a search a a, uh, a platform like that, that searching isn't going to find you. So right. uh, having, if you are somewhere you and you want a job there, obviously put that address. If you want to go somewhere else or have an option to, just like you said, get your address connected to that community so that these platforms can find you. Right. Right. Uh, the other thing you talked about that jumped out at me was this startup thing. And of course I'm, I'm laughing on a little bit because I, I went through my own experience there, but, uh, can you talk to that experience a little bit? Is there, are there some things that you specifically learned out of that that are, are really important to you? I mean, there, I learned a lot there. Um, well, one, one thing I, I, I took away that, um, is that when you have a management team who are, uh, prior infantry officers and they're trying to run an aviation element, tech company. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a bit of a, a learning curve that they don't, that, that I struggled with. Um, so there's in aviation, there's, there's human factors in aviation, which uh, was a whole course that I took in college uh, that goes over like human fatigue and the longevity of like how long the mind can be focused on certain things and, yeah. and how it affects the decision-making process 
for for pilots in the in the cockpit because uh, you know you don't you don't want to fatigue pilot to crash and there's there's huge FAA regulations and I can't tell think tell off the top of my head my brother would know them, on the the limitation on the amount of time that they can work in a day right. um, and so that they build these these safety protocols into the systems um, that allow you know aviators to be safe and, and transport people safely. Uh, so they're, they're not fatigued in making in, uh, human error. And trying to explain that to an infantry officer who has had, you know, guys who've worked 48-hour <laughs> right. shifts, you know, laying yep. in the mud, it, it, there's there's just this fundamental uh, concept that, that I, I, as a just a employee for the individuals of the company, they, they had a really hard time understanding that there's there's human figures in aviation. They're like, you know, their their mindset was, you know, almost, and you no, know, we were all army, but you know, like you're a Marine, you know, go out there and do the Marine thing. And they'd be like, you're army, you're a soldier, soldier on, you know, like get it done. This is what needs to be done. Here's the task at hand, go accomplish it. I don't care if it takes you 20 hours a day. And that was a learning experience, but I, I had that learning experience as well. Um, you know, when I went to Chrysler as well as just the, the human fatigue factor that, that I, I kind of wish that um, more employers would, would take that into consideration instead of looking at the bottom line of um you know the, meeting the numbers which i mean meeting numbers and and you know creating um a value for the stockholders and having a sustainable company is is i mean if you don't have a sustainable company you don't have a company but at the same time if, if you have to do that at the sacrifice of creating uh, a negative work environment because you're overextending your individuals I mean, you don't have a, a very solid business in my mind either. So, Excellent. I mean, that's there's credit, a balance there. Credit to you for uh, for saying that way, uh, because a lot of folks miss that there's a this is a balancing act. You can't. It is absolutely impossible just to say we need to have this work environment be better or uh, I can't work this hard. You have to balance that against actually having a business that you know brings money in to pay your paycheck. Uh, so, right. excellent perspective there, and maybe to sum up or to take a crack at kind of summing up is if somebody were to go down that road of joining a startup and it applies to everywhere, wherever you're going to go to work or people you're going to work for or start your own business, have a, uh, do whatever you have to do to get a, a very broad look at the set of circumstances. Is this right for me? Am I going to be successful? If you're able to, sometimes people aren't able to do this, but if you're able to step back from, maybe the short-term need of a job hand you to paycheck because I got to put food on the table. If you can take a step back and say, is this the right fit? Am I going to be successful here? That will serve you good in the, in the long term because you may prevent a misstep or you may avoid being in a situation that really wasn't the right fit for you. Right. Right. <clears throat> Excellent stuff. So next, next piece of the interview, this is the meat of the, uh, the podcast right here. The challenge is 20 years from now, you might be talking about your time in the military and there'll be things that'll maybe come to you at the forefront of your mind and say, these were the things that meant the most to me while I was in the military. And I'd love to hear a story or two about uh, your time in the service and things that will stay with you, you know, in the future you may share with grandkids and kids when they're older and all that. What are, what are, what's a story or two that really means service to you? That will stay with you forever. Um, well, I guess I, I'm kind of cheating right now because I, I mean, even though I'm a contractor and a civilian status in Afghanistan, I mean, 
I, I live and work with integrated with the military. So it's, it's, there's very, the only thing I, you know, I can wear civilian clothes or my civilian uniform and I can grow a beard, I guess, are about the two <laughs> different factors. I mean, I still, still have, uh, you know, a lot of the same requirements as any other military individual in the, over here. Um, you still have the same health requirements fall under general rule number one, um, you know, all that stuff. So, but you know, the, I, you know, I would say the camaraderie or the, I can't even say it right. Camaraderie. Camaraderie. You're you know, like, yeah. You. Yeah. So, uh, so, you know, that's, that's what really stands out is, is the relationships that you build with individuals. Um, because I mean, you don't build the same relationships with, with individuals on the civilian sector that you do when you spend the amount of time um, with, when you do, when you deploy with somebody and go to a, um, a, a tough situation. And, you know, when you're both in that tough situation, there's a, there's an understanding of, you know, we made it through that together uh, because I had your back and you had my back. Uh, and even, even when the day's done, you leave the office and turn off the lights, you go back to the room, you know, that person's three or four rooms down from you. Or, you know, it might be, you might be in a tent, you know, and that you might be sharing the same tent in some situations in some places in the world. And, you know, you go to that person, you can confide in them. And that's the relationships that are built that you just cannot replace um, in a lot, in a lot of situations. I mean, yeah, you can have work part, work friends at the civilian sector, but, you know, you might hang out on the weekends and your wife and kids do things together and you can build those relationships there as well, but it's not, it's farther and fewer between because you, you don't have that um the opportunity to uh spend time with each other and, and understand the person and, and develop that interpersonal connections with those individuals that you serve with and uh those are the things that i'll you know i'll take away i mean there's you know the, the stories that stand out in my mind are the ones that would probably get some people in trouble if i <laughs> if i disclose them um, <laughs> that's no fun but okay i yeah. accept that um <laughs> I mean, I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry yeah, about it. It's okay. I mean, the uh, yeah. tell, tell me this. So you you did a, a couple deployments uh, in the guard, right? Uh, yeah, I went to Iraq in uh, 04 to 05. Um, and I was actually Tammy Duckworth is now a Congresswoman Duckworth um, mm -hmm. in Illinois. So she was that was part of my unit that went over there. Um, Very cool. And she. Uh, yeah, she she lost both her legs in the um, RPG, the cockpit, and so that was yeah. that was my deployment to Iraq, and then um, I went to El Salvador for three weeks um, as a communications person down there to help with communications, network, and stuff like that, and then uh, and then since then, you know, I tried to do the fight school thing with the army, so I I somehow managed not to deploy. I mean, I picked up an active duty tour at Fort Knox stateside, and then I went on AGR. Um, but then since then I came to Afghanistan, I guess, as a contractor, but. Well, a question, um, yeah. uh, a question of that first, uh, deployment, like an idiot, I said, very cool. Before you even finished your sentence, you were deployed with, uh, you said a, uh, who, who was the person that you said? So, uh, it's, it's, uh, well, Congresswoman Duckworth now, but mm -hmm. um, at the time uh, it was, it was Captain Duckworth and, yeah. uh, she's a black pilot and she was also the, um, what is it? Operations, you know, the J lead, I guess, or that wouldn't be J lead at the time to be S S3, assistant S3, which is operations, operations, right? assistant operations person. So, um, but she, she was actually her and, uh, 
Mr. Milberg, I believe, were the two pilots, along with one of the, there's a couple of the crew in the back, uh, Kurt Hanneman um, was in the back of the aircraft when they got shot up, I guess. And, yeah. Um, that was part of my unit. The, uh, what, can you tell me a little bit about the experience of, uh, and that was your, was that your first deployment? Yeah, it was. And what was your, what was your role? What were you doing? Uh, aviation operations. Okay. Flight ops. Got it. And so what does that do to a unit when uh, you, you have a high profile at the time it was high profile because everything, you know, we were in the midst of everything there now, you know, whatever, 14, 15 years removed uh, it's even more high profile because that person ends up being very prominent. How does that, how did that impact you and your unit at that time to have something like that happen? Um, I mean, it was unreal, I guess, to begin with, because, I mean, I, I don't remember exactly how long we've been in Iraq. I mean, it, I mean, it seemed like it was, you know, every day was normal operations, and then something like that happens, and it, it, it's, you know, because you get complacent, um, you know, because you, you, even even over here, you get complacent, but, um, you know, you kind of write off this, that, that won't happen to us, you know, you hear stories, and um, you put it in the back of your mind, but then when it actually hits home, uh, it brings it to you know, a realization that, you know, it does happen and it does ha hit close to home, you know, um, you know, but the unit morale, I guess, I mean, we were, I mean, I thought we were a pretty close group of people and it, yeah. I don't know if it really hit us that much. I mean, we still pressed on, um, but we were probably a lot more risk adverse after that yeah. um, because it did bring the real out or the realization that it, um, you know, it was there because I used to fly. I used to be able to get on a Blackhawk and just fly all over the country. You know, be like, "Hey, where are you guys going today?" Um, well, I don't have a lot going on in the office. It's my scheduled day off or whatever, and I jump on and I'd fly all over the country and just sit in the back of Blackhawk for six hours. Um, but after that, they're like, "Eh, no more random flights around the country." You know. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I spent I spent a brief period uh, on an individual augmentee over to Kuwait, and I spent more more time in a Blackhawk than any submarine or probably ever. I kind of got that sense that, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, this team flies around and all this kind of stuff and you, you get into a groove operationally. And these were all guard. Most of these, most of the Blackhawks that we used for VIP travel were all guard uh, people stationed mm -hmm. at Air of John. Just a, it got that feeling of this becomes routine operations, especially down in Kuwait. Uh, even though we were going over there to whatever that prison camp was, uh, right there at the bottom of uh, of Iraq, so we're zipping over the border there. But still, you get that complacent thing. This is just operations, and uh, you know, uh, submarining's similar. Is uh, you forget that you're actually doing dangerous stuff with, you know, in dangerous environments, and that's when accidents happen, or uh, or the bad stuff happens, right? Yeah. So you've spent how many months when you total them all up? Do you think uh, in your career, military and reserve and uh, what you're doing now, have you spent in, in the quote unquote desert or the sandbox or whatever you want to call it? Uh, well, um, I guess you don't, I don't count El Salvador as a sandbox, but True. <laughs> um, 30, 36, 37 months, I guess now. Um, the, uh, I, I 24, 24 months this time, then uh, 12 or 13 months in Iraq. Mm-hmm. And you grew up in Illinois, is that right? That's correct. And was it farm country or were you in a suburban area or what's, yeah, what was there, that town like? Yeah, you know, 
I, that's a, that's a funny story here. So I, I tell people I graduated in the uh, top 10 of my class, which is true. I was number Let nine. <laughs> How many people were in your class? 18. <laughs> good, good work. You nailed it. <laughs> yeah, nailed it. So, but uh, I mean, yeah, it's, it's hard to beat the top 1% when it's only half of you, you know, yep. half yeah, of one yeah. person. It's the top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, or one point, yeah, I guess it would be. But anyways, um, so uh, yeah, um, but yeah. So my my grandfather, uh, he had a bunch of farmland down in uh, Western Illinois University area, and mm-hmm. um, my uncle's still down there farming it, and uh, yeah, it's farm country. My, so my reason my reason for asking that is coming from a, a similar super small rural community, um, in in going overseas and experiencing uh, that. You know, radically different culture and radically different kind of lifestyle because of what you're doing. Uh, that echoes to to where I'm at now. I'm eight years since I retired. Uh, the that stays with me. Do you share that that you've experienced things that the other 17 people in your graduating class possibly have not? Uh, does that well, actually? Stay with you? Out of that small class, two of the guys went to Iraq a year before right, I did. There you go. Um, there you go. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, well, I I've traveled. Uh, yeah, where you? I was, I was young, mm-hmm. um, and so traveling has always been part of me, and it still is today. Um, that's what I struggle with. Working at Chrysler is I just didn't travel enough. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, there's there's definitely you know cultural things that 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 I you know that I've been exposed to that will stick with me. Um, you know, like like hearing prayer call at like yeah. ten times a day. There's a there's a mosque that's about four buildings over that. Um, you know, it, it, it's it, it's the first six months is kind of annoying, but after that, it, 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 you when you go back in the states, you kind of like, well, where's prayer call at? <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well, then, then I guess I would say that maybe that feeling of being there might be something that really will. Uh, you know, stick with you and something you'll share with the kids and grandkids down the road. Yeah. So, so it was odd, and I I noticed it this time coming through. So, when I went through Iraq, I went through uh, Kuwait, and uh, and this time I came back through Kuwait um, on my first rotation over here. And when I arrived there, I mean, the place smelled exactly the same. And this is you know, 15 years later, the the yeah. T walls were still up. I mean, different. There might be new T walls. <laughs> repainted with new yep. new logos on them but uh i i landed there 15 years later and there was this odd familiarity that just struck me enough to, to make note of it i'm like why does this feel so familiar to me because it mm-hmm. it's been 15 you know i've been uh, quite a few years it was in 15 or 12 years but anyways um i'm like it smells exactly the same and i actually felt at ease and comfortable in that yep. situation because it felt familiar and so when i get to afghanistan you know there's two walls up everywhere and I'm like, oh, another day, you know, another day at work. And <laughs> uh, I felt I feel more comfortable here than I did at Chrysler. Um, which is kind that. of scary, but. I can see that. So like the uh, the crunch of gravel in boots that uh, I yeah. remember that distinctly. Right? <laughs> There's gravel it, everywhere. Yeah, and the, and the, the smell of powdered dust, you know, like I hate it, yeah. but it's oddly comforting. Yeah, ex- excellent, excellent stuff, uh, Jason. I appreciate you sharing all that. And so, kind of the last last chunk of this interview as we get uh, close to the to the end of the hour here, 
is uh, about what you're passionate about now. I mean, you're on a you're on what sounds like a great trajectory, uh, you know, in the in the field that you're in with the expertise that you have putting things together and and doing well and doing really unique stuff and getting experience that few people have. That's clearly valuable, uh, you know, in a lot of different places. But it all comes down to kind of what you're passionate about in the end. So curious to know, what is it that you're most passionate about now? What uh, what keeps you up at night and kind of what are your plans going forward? Well, um, I'm still passionate about flight. Um, so I've I applied for the Illinois Air National Guard, um, the Air Force side. And uh, they're like, yeah, sorry, buddy, but you're a little bit too old for us. You're going to need an age waiver. But good luck at applying to all the other um, Air Force Reserve or Air National Guard units if you want to go fly. So I'm still trying to pursue that because um, I still want to go to flight school with the military. And so that's that's something that's a road I'm pursuing. Um, but if that doesn't pan out because I am 36 and I do need an age waiver, um, I'm hoping I can find one, a unit that will see me. But uh, business is really where, you know, I, I found a lot of passion in, in self-development. So, uh, you know, I've, I don't have the time I want to dedicate to the blog, but I do have a blog, just jasondumer.com and uh, pursue dot, pursuebeyond.com. I haven't done anything with besides bottom and have uh, aspirations of building them. Um, so, but you know, spreading a message to other younger entrepreneurs on kind of the fact that, um, you know, if you want to achieve something in life, you know, there's going to take a lot of development and self-improvement that people, unless you get a really good mentor, you kind of got to figure this stuff on your own. And so I want to help maybe bridge that gap uh, for some individuals on some of the things that milestones that you know, you might want to take a look at when you're younger. I'm not saying if I hold my track by any means, but maybe if I could help you avoid or help individuals avoid that dark part of like trying to figure out, you know, what is it that you need to know um, or some of the things that you might want to look at, like time management and process improvement and self-improvement and um, how to manage, uh, you know, your time effectively. So, you know, there's the E versus E ratio. So it's your education versus your entertainment ratio. And if, if you actually want to achieve something and, and, do something beyond watching TV all the time. You've got to take some of that education or that entertainment time and educate yourself. And nobody's going to, once you leave school, nobody's going to sit down and say, you know, read, read for two hours a night. Nobody's going to give you homework assignments. So you have to be, you know, you have to start thinking, okay, what do I want to learn this quarter or this, you know, this, this year um, and kind of put some options out there for individuals that are, that are, that are driven and but want to succeed in something. Um, so that's kind of where I'm passionate about right now. But um, in order to do that, I also know that I have to have a business model that works. Um, so starting a business, working with other entrepreneurs um, and, and trying to get something that brings value to the, the marketplace would be really where I'm really passionate about is trying to help individuals and, and build a team of individuals to start a business, um, which being in Afghanistan, I struggle with because I, I don't have that network capabilities uh, to go out and network, to go to events because I'm, I'm stuck here. Uh, for six months at a time. Um, but I am taking my MBA, working on my MBA to, to try to educate myself while I'm here and have the time to do it. So that way, hopefully, when I finish my MBA um, or find another job that allows me to pursue the business aspect of things better, um, you know, I'll, I'll be better prepared for that. Does that kind of answer the question, I guess, what, what wakes me? Because I mean, I, I, woke oh, up, yeah. I woke up, oh, yeah. I woke up at five the morning and, and I started, so I woke up and I didn't plan on waking up at 530. Um, but I started reading the Harvard Business Review, and I was a part of my reading assignment. 
But but it occurred to me that I'm like, I'm reading Harvard Business Review before my first cup of coffee in the morning. I'm like, that's pretty that much dedication right there. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah. Fa- fantastic. And, and yes, to answer your question, that does answer the question. Um, e- excellent information and excellent perspective on, uh, on, on where you're going and a model for other people to follow if it fits for them. Uh, and one, one, one thing that occurred to me while you were saying that is I had some exposure and still have some exposure because they're, they're great people with the uh, group that I'm working with, but there are all kinds of co-working sites. You know, you come back and there's like the, we work and here in Raleigh, there's HQ Raleigh and there's similar places all over. There are virtual ways to connect in that same way. And since you are what I'm hearing, you are entrepreneurial, uh, you're inspired to be an entrepreneur, super process oriented. And maybe that's the primary place where you could bring value. Maybe one thing to think about is to start connecting with people in these co-working environments where they're kind of micro companies all around who need people like you. And you may be able to, you know, spend five or 10 hours a week or whatever, add real value, really build up that resume as you've been a, you know, a, uh, a fractional COO for a startup doing X, Y, and Z, you know, and kind of change that narrative around of, of what you're doing and build a resume that is clearly applicable as soon as you come back and you're done, uh, you know, having fun over there in Afghanistan or whatever you're doing over there. Right. You know, when you, yeah. when you get back here and you want to want to dig in, you now have changed the narrative on your resume is I've been fractional this and I've done this and done that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So be, I'd be, be, be glad to, to stay connected and work on that. And fa- fantastic interview. I really do appreciate your time and, and hold on, get ready. Jason Doomer. I nailed it there. Didn't I? Did I get it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> if I've learned one thing from this past hour, <laughs> the, yeah. it is that. Thanks. Thanks so much for your time. Is there uh where, where can people best connect with you if they'd like to reach out? Um, yeah, you can reach out to me on um, LinkedIn. Uh, it's Jason R. Doomer. Uh, I think it's just a LinkedIn handle on that one. Um, you can also probably find me on Facebook and then, uh, you know, or you can, I got my webpage up, which is jasondumer.com. And that's D-U-M-M-E-R. Looks like dumber. <laughs> but uh, I got Rub contact information on there as well. Yeah, I, I got contact information on there as well. It's, it's not, it's a pretty limited webpage. I think I got one post up on it, like from a month ago. But it's, uh, it's there. That's all right. I, I appreciate your time. Stay safe over there. And uh, thanks for joining the show. Thanks. You have been listening to the Garrison Project Podcast with Dan Edinger. Veterans connecting with veterans across generations through the power of storytelling. Look for us on the web and social media and please share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks for the support. Like us whenever you listen to our podcast and stay tuned for more episodes.